Hello and welcome to the 8th edition of the Eyeballs podcast. This episode is going to be a discussion on getting about, travelling, mobility and it's taken from the recording made back in July that the previous episode was compiled from. So remaining with the usual Eyeballs team of myself, Jerry Gilbert, Lynn Hester and Matt Darkin for this conversation. We had Amy Yates, our production assistant Gail Hazel and Warren Wilson. A little while back, Warren, who is a history student at Anglia Ruskin University here in Cambridge, had been on a study trip to Paris. He wrote an article which was posted on the campsite website, outlining his experience of travelling to Paris, which we used to spark the discussion. There will be a link directly to Warren's article from the podcast page on the campsite website. You can find that page at www.campsite.org.uk forward slash category forward slash podcast. It was a very hot day in July when we made the recording, so we had to have all the windows open. So apologies for any background noise which may interfere with your listening. Without any further preamble from me, here's Eyeballs number eight. We've got Warren here. The main reason why we've got him here really is to talk about travelling. You're a person who has lost vision fairly recently at mm. least in comparison to the three of us here who who don't have sight we've mm. all been without sight for a fair amount of years a few longer than you anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> so some of the things that you're experiencing are a bit interesting to us because mm. we have all been traveling getting about as visually impaired people for ages mm. really so, just hearing what the experience is as, as a newly visually impaired person is is good for us, I guess. And some of the problems which come up when you're trying to arrange, organise travelling somewhere, just the logistics of moving from A to B, if you can't see, and what you do once you've moved from A to B, how you experience your environment, and we should discuss a bit. I was just wondering... Trying to sort of gauge how long you guys have lost your sight for. Um, well, for me, Warren, yeah. I lost my sight when I was five years old, mm. and I'm now forty-six. So yeah, and I've had yeah. pretty much no vision since then. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I, I just asked how long people have lost their sight for because I found mm. I, in recent years I found I found it fascinating that sight loss is experienced different by people who have not had much sight for a very long time compared to people who have lost their sight through their life like half, I'd yeah. say halfway through it and well I'm 40 mm. and I lost my sight when I was 26 mm. so 14 years mm. so when I lost my sight at 26 I mean that's a similar-ish age to you mm. you're 21 okay yeah and I was partially sighted from when I was a child really mm. the main issues when I started this trip I, I really wanted to do it to some, to some extent but in another extent I was a bit apprehensive because I thought I'd miss out on things I guess because I couldn't see them, I thought, oh, what might, is there much point in me going? I'm a bit unsure at first. 
But I'm so pleased I went and I managed to arrange to be able to go and lots of people were convinced me, go on, go, you'll enjoy it, honestly. And uh, there are a few people from the uni who are saying, yeah, come on, come along, it'll be good. I mean, quite often, I think, when you're contemplating going somewhere mm. and you discuss it with people, they talk about seeing the sights, don't they? And uh, mm. I suppose that that's as someone who's newly visually impaired something that you consider as you were saying well, I might mm. miss out on the sights what you tend to hear when you're away on holiday yeah. anywhere is people going look at that look yeah. at that look yeah. at that yeah <laughs> all the time don't you imagine if it were possible to go away somewhere and only see the sights and not hear the sounds or smell the mm. smells it would be an odd experience for most people mm. so it is a, an amalgamation of all those things that goes to make up a, mm. you know like a wonderful mm. holiday or trip away or whatever. Mm. and if you're visually impaired I guess you take things in in a different way when I'm away I do this thing which I call listening around mm. and it's just listen to what people say and people talk extraordinary lots of rubbish but also, they talk about quite interesting things which you might not necessarily take in if you're looking and seeing the sights. So. Mm-hmm. I like going to America whenever I can and I'm going to the various different places around there. And, and obviously, you know, whoever I'm out there with, their number one sense is their sight because, they're, they're, as I said, they're going, oh, wow, look at that over there and look at that. But they miss out on stuff like, I mean, I went down to the deep south Nashville and around there and you know I was telling them about this really fantastic conversations that the locals were having mm. you know so I do declare my, my grandmother had nine children with no painkillers <laughs> that kind of thing you know and I was, so I sort of have this sort of audio postcard for them you know and you do get, you know, the, you get the weather, obviously, mm, where it's yeah. cold, hot, whatever, mm. and the sounds and the smells, yeah. So. Mm. It just depends how much enjoyment you can derive from mm. other things other than sight, I suppose. And yeah. if you are newly visually impaired, I suppose some of it is learning to enjoy things in a different way. So mm. that you're not always thinking, oh, I'm missing out. Mm. You might start to think, well... So I'm not missing out because I can hear this which hmm. probably I wouldn't have done oh, yeah I mean yeah. plus the fact you're there yeah when you're yeah. as you're as there yeah. as anybody yeah. else yeah. is you know I think one of the things is whatever country you go is like going to markets and places like that uh, I love thing. markets myself you know I'm not a, a person who does much bartering or anything like that but just walking <laughs> through the market in uh, anywhere really you get different scents and sounds mm. and textures and it's um, mm. it's kind of I find it exciting really Cause exciting, yeah. Yeah. no because I was thinking like you can go to countries and and go in hotels and you can be anywhere on the planet can't you when yeah. you're in a hotel mm. environment I was thinking about when I went to Tunisia but going into one of the markets there you know it's just like something completely different yeah it's not like Tesco no <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, every time I barter in Tesco, they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you, is it, man? <laughs> Driving up the price. Yes. <laughs> no, there's no bartering. You just get this thing saying unexpected item in the bagging area. Yeah. <laughs> it's just only have going to appreciate other senses in that respect. 
for instance, I've noticed there was quite a lot of music around pretty much wherever you went around mm. many of the streets. Mm. I suppose that's something I, I quite enjoyed. And what, what you said about textures earlier on, and this can be done anywhere, but I, mm. I just, it might look a bit strange sometimes, but I just love feeling things. I, I don't care how embarrassing it looks for the people around me, but I just, uh, I just got, feel like clothes, fabrics, shoes, whatever. It's, it's great. When you go up the Eiffel Tower, how do you get you climb upstairs or um, lift or yeah there's um there's a lift that kind of goes up the middle I think you can choose to go up the stairs which are sort of in each of the legs I believe but we went up the lift so I'm not too sure where the stairs are and on the first platform there's a restaurant with a viewing area around the edge of the restaurant and I think there's a further two more platforms we went on the one above which is just a viewing platform but I think there's one right at the very top where there's an even smaller viewing platform and the lift just goes up the middle I believe. Again, I might be wrong, I was just sort of guided there just uh, by my SSA and we, we sort of quickly rushed on because it was a bit of a rush by that time. I can only remember seeing the pictures of the Eiffel Tower and then when you say like it's got a restaurant halfway up, yeah. it gives some sense of the depth of it really. Mm, yeah, it takes up a lot larger area than I imagined. Mm. I, I was quite shocked to see a restaurant up there to be honest. But yeah, it was a lot, lot bigger than I imagined. Did you get the sense of the height as well when you... Mm. I mean, yeah, yeah, when I was up on the platforms, the sound of the city was quite distant. It was quite peaceful. You were able just to sort of relax a bit more in the sort of early evening and just listen to the city in the background. It was nice to have all that hustle and bustle, especially after such a long walk from one end of Paris to the other. It's nice to have all that hustle and bustle out, out of your mind for a little bit and uh, mm. to be able to relax a bit more. What about independent travel? Though? So if you're going somewhere on your own... Mm. Would you feel that you would derive the same sort of uh, enjoyment? Uh, I don't really go many places on my own, like, like, like say, um, I'd like to do it. Since I lost my sight, I sort of went straight into a, a uni course. And the uni I went to is Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge, which is a, a bus ride from my house. So I'd independently go from my house to the AIE, but that kind of gets a bit boring after a while. It's not like settle to Carlisle then, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so it's nothing quite like that. Um, I'd like, I'd like to maybe do a trip, a longer-distance trip by myself, but I've never really had the need to since I've lost my sight. There's a difference, isn't there, in travelling to go somewhere for enjoyment and mm. sort of everyday travel, which mm. getting from home to work or a shop or mm. somewhere where you need to be. Independently doing that, I suppose, is more normal, more mm. usual. Yeah. Well, on my street, just to, if you walk, uh, take a trip to the shops and back, mm. you walk through about fifteen different countries. <laughs> yeah. Every nationality you can think of. Yes. Yeah. One place I was uh, invited to travel to. It's not too far. It's only like a few stops on the train, but it's just something I've never done before. And a combination of slight anxieties and being quite busy in general, and having work and stuff to do that it's kind of put it off a little bit yeah I, I suppose that's the only instance where I've ever had to travel any distance by myself um, I haven't done it yet <laughs> Where, where's this to? Uh, this is uh, from Cambridge Station to Electra train station so it's not too far at all it'll be an experience I'd probably be quite anxious about the first time I do it but yeah, I, yeah. I imagine I'd probably get used to it after a while what about seasoned travellers like you and uh, Lynn yeah. I, was, I was just yeah. thinking about how um you know, like things have changed over time. Because I lived in London when I was like 18. Mm. And then I used to have to count all the stops on the underground to where I, you know, lived. And then a couple of years ago, I went into London 
and suddenly, you know, you don't realise that things have changed and all, all the yeah, stops are announced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that really like, is that she sort of changed that. the whole thing completely. When you're travelling around on your own, it's something that I've personally, over the 14 years without sight, have sort of built up to, if you see what I mean. Mm. I was pretty nervous about it all to start mm. with. Not talking about going on holiday, I'm just talking about anything yeah, you're doing yeah, in life. Yeah, to be, whatever, yeah. If you're doing it on your own, as a blind person, I think you're always going to have a bit of nerves, whatever you're doing on a daily basis. But I don't agree with that, yeah. As you, as you get older, and I think you'd agree with this, Jerry, and Lynn, you do reach the stage where you think, I don't care at all what people think of me, that's the number one thing, and all I want to do is get from here to where I want to go. Mm. You know, so it does become just something that you yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you get used to. Yeah. Well, you don't think about it too deep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I think. Mm. Like you, you always have a bit of anxiety, in your mm. and some of it is down to just damned inconvenience, really. Yeah. Well, you never the sure idea what's that you know if you yeah. if you get off the bus at the wrong stop, how annoying that mm. can be, and how easily it can be done as well. So you're always mm. a bit concerned about those sorts of things and you were saying about announcements on trains and the mm. underground that you mentioned mm. what is very annoying is when they do partial announcements <laughs> so I've been on trains recently <laughs> as well where for a bit of the journey they'll yes. announce the stations that you're stopping at but then they have a changeover of staff or whatever mm. at some point on the train and they don't announce the rest of them. It's really annoying, particularly if you're getting out at one of those stops which they're not going to announce because you just don't know they're not going to. You can't yeah. rely on announcements for yeah. anything. You, you yeah. really yeah, they, they can be helpful, they're helpful if they're happening, but yeah. you can't literally rely yeah. on them. They are very random, some of them, and some of them are so poorly delivered. And a lot of the time on the tube, the, the announcement is a second before the doors open. Yeah. <laughs> so if yeah. you think, is it, is it, and then you're <laughs> the the door, pushing yeah. everyone out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing that sort of maybe puts me off slightly the most, yeah. not knowing, maybe if the announcements aren't working correctly or getting off at the wrong stop. Yeah. I, don't, I don't mind always bumping into someone going, hey, can you tell me where I am, can you help me somewhere? I quite like that aspect about being visually impaired, having to ask people for things. But yeah, it's more just the inconvenience sometimes if you miss a stop or something. Mm. It is a yeah. absolute pain. I've got a question. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, one of the interesting things you raise in your article, Warren, mm. is when you went to the Eiffel Tower and you had special treatment yeah. and oh, uh, you were yeah, whisked away from your peers. Yeah. And it seems to me that this can be quite a, a tricky area. Do you want to say anything more about that? For example, special treatment in all sorts of forms, you know, where you're going through security at the airport or just the way people treat you in social ways yeah. and uh, whether it, it makes you feel set apart. Anything you want to say about that um, or anybody else? So most of the instances where, say, someone in society go out of their way to help you, most of the time it can actually be helpful. I can't really think of too many unhelpful situations. One of the only things I can think of is when, some, when you're, say, waiting by a road, just trying to sort of figure out where you are and find your own bearings, someone will come up to you, take you across to the other side of the road, and I think they've helped you a lot, but you don't need to be that yeah. side of the road. <laughs> that, that's happened to me once or twice, but I think on the most part, most people are very friendly, helpful, 
uh, and they go out of their way to give you sort of special treatment. And uh, especially in that case with the Eiffel Tower, that was uh, I felt a bit sorry for all my friends who I'd suggested to walk all the way across Paris to go from Montmartre to the Eiffel Tower. I thought a bit, mm. felt a bit sorry for them, but come on, I had the chance to go up the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always that kind of that around that, isn't there? But, uh, one of the things that happens sometimes is that, and uh, we've noticed this a bit at airports, that if you're travelling with someone, uh, someone who's friend or a guide or your husband, your wife or whatever, mm. sometimes when you approach particularly security areas, you get waved to one side because people see the, the white cane or the dog or whatever it is and say, oh, over here, you know, you can go through more quickly than everyone else. Mm. But sometimes when that happens, you're shoved off into a slightly different area and the rest of the people who have been queuing up on nicely can feel that, why on earth are they having special treatment to get past security faster? Mm. Uh, that's not a huge problem in, for me, I wouldn't say. What is more of a problem is that when you have been shunted off into this slightly different area, it's not always clear to the staff members uh, what's going on. So, you know, one of these security people will say, over there, please, you know, blind people will go that way. And when you go that way, there's nothing there, or there's no one there to sort of move you through the process. Mm. So sometimes you have to come back. And you just get uh, abandoned in some strange yeah, tunnel. You kind of get shifted down. Gail and I have travelled a lot together, <laughs> so we kind of experience this, you know, quite a lot where mm. people are really helpful mm. and they say, okay, you, know, you don't need to queue up through all that. Um, of jungle, or carry your big bags through there, we'll help you through that. Go through this way, okay, bye. Yes, and we're just ex- there. Had a brilliant <laughs> experience. Uh, I think it was the last time we went over to the States, and I was going to a place called, would you believe, Prattville? <laughs> and, um, uh, but I was in the airport, and um, it was Atlanta Airport, and anyway, this, this really, this, um, really sort of kind, huge um, American guy sort of came up. He goes, oh, you know, you, you can jump the queue, just come with us um, over to here. And anyway, so he looked at sort of all my documentation and stuff. And he goes, you're going to Prattville? And I said, yes. He said, you must have family there, right? It's <laughs> 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 really funny. But I, I mean, I, I remember one time there was a huge queue outside uh, this, the Empire State Building uh, in New York. And... Um, absolutely massive massive queue and I had a white cane this is years and years ago with a friend so we were standing there and I did think to myself this is going to take hours because it was a huge queue probably one of my first experiences actually of of what you were saying about a guy came over and he said just follow me and we just walked to the front of the queue and up you know up we went up there and the funny thing that you know straight away I thought to myself that's a funny thing because there's nothing wrong with my legs Mm. I can stand in the queue with my friend just like anybody else yeah mm-hmm. but I will take advantage of them whisking you off to the front it does make you think well I can queue up so and everyone else yeah, yeah. but well, it, it's such a nice thing just to it be is. whisked yeah. off to 
Yeah. I was going on a flight to Greece and I had, um, this was when my son was a toddler, he was sitting on my lap and I'd stowed my cane in the seat in front. And then anyway, it got to, you know, it's taken off. And then I need to go to the toilet and I'm looking around trying to find my cane. And then the guy in front turns around and says, What are you looking for? And I said, Well, my white cane. He said, Oh, I handed that in at Heathrow. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know. I didn't think it was yours. <laughs> and he said, this is Greek, Greek man, he said, you'll have no problem. There are lots of places in Athens you can get a white stick. <laughs> that was my worst nightmare ever. Really. What did you do about yeah. that? Were there lots of places in Athens? Well, as it was, my friend, she lived sort of three and a half hours drive from Athens and she was picking us up from the airport. And if you know Athens anyway, and you know, when you arrive, it's like always oh, hot, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, what she did was when we got there, she got a garden cane and painted it white. <laughs> so I spent a fortnight with a white. <laughs> and it was just yeah. like the way that... Yeah, that's... Just it's funny that you say that because when I've been away and most mostly using a white cane rather than my dog... Mm-hmm. I had the thought has crossed. Oh, what if I lose my cane? I wonder how much a hassle it is to get. One, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. depending where I am. But the thing was, then that the sort of cabin crew said, "Oh well, we'll make make sure that you know it comes out on the next flight tomorrow. It'll be here tomorrow morning." You sort of think, actually, I don't think I want to drive three mm. and a half hours back to Athens to go mm. <laughs> in case. Yeah. It so but I picked it up on the way back to England. <laughs> so, so beware, keep your stick wary, very keep, yeah. keep your hands on your stick. <laughs> and actually, the last, time, that, the last time I flew back from Greece, actually, they wanted to take it off me as a oh, okay. you know, sharp Another you know, terrorist weapon. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, actually, that has never happened to me. They scan it through the security scanners, but I've never had it. Sort of no, I went, from, went yeah. to the Caribbean and when I got to that at St Lucia Airport yeah. and they took the white cane and they were like look, looking through it and making yeah. right fast. Yeah, to see what you've got stuffed down the middle. I think any visually impaired person listening will, will all have experience of... I'd like to say most people are okay, but you do get some people that are completely clueless. The problem people... Are only I, in my experience, say twenty percent, and I say eighty percent people. Mm. Are yeah, I'm pretty much would, would mm. concur with that. I think you know most people, even if people get things wrong, they're actually trying to be helpful, mm. and you know part of it is on the, the side of the visually impaired person actually is to to manage that if someone gets something wrong, you don't look at that. Yeah. You evil person! You didn't do this how I wanted <laughs> yeah. it exactly. You know, it's kind of you know. Have you used anyone assistive travel mm. on uh, the railway, oh, yeah, for yeah. example? Yeah. I haven't used these for this assistive travel idea for a very long time. It's been a while. My experience of it was not fantastic. This is a, a system where you would, would book someone to assist you moving from, for example, one train to another if there was a change within your journey. It's only if you're in changes. It's not they're with you all the time. No. Mm. No, mm. it's just mm. if you happen to want to change a train yeah. halfway through the journey. Or to get from 
the train out of a station, which can be a complicated business. I've attempted to use these services. No, I would say you know it's, it's at least fifteen years since I've used such a service, and it never really worked. People would hardly ever find me on a train or no. just got off a train. It doesn't. Work. And uh, if they did, they quite often had the wrong information, so uh, I would be changing at Nottingham, for example, once I was and wanting to get to Loughborough. And the guy came along and grabbed me and said, OK, well, this is the Sheffield train. And I said, no, thank you, I just got off that one, actually. I want to go to... Uh, no, it doesn't say that here. <laughs> I've got that on my paper. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's a kind of weird. And, uh, that happened so many times that I just gave up bothering and just relied on asking uh, members of the public. And it just seemed a lot more straightforward for me if you can find someone. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think now they're much yeah. better because like when I get trained and they say oh mm. do you want some assistance and when you get to the other end and I said oh yeah that'd be great you know yeah. and that seems to work a lot better Yeah, I tend to go in straight lines down to Hitchin and back or somewhere like yeah, that. Right, yes, yeah. I, always, I also find that, that although you can't rely on it people do tend to say you're right you're getting off here or whatever, you know. Mm. So that, that's they can't guarantee it, but it does happen from time to time. I think the last time I went to Leeds, the, the, I had booked assistance, but I decided I, you know, just got off the train, and then he came flying down the platform after me, saying, "Look, I was trying to get to you. You've got off. You know, I was I was coming to get you, and got really cross that I got <laughs> off on my own, but." You know, yeah. it's like either you sit there and wait until the train takes you back to London yeah. or whatever. <laughs> or you, I think or in, you in, in my experience with trains, what if they do have someone at the other end or where you're mm-hmm. changing or something, I think what they think is their job is to physically help you off yeah, the sometimes train. There's some and it's actually not yeah. that that you're looking for. You're looking just to make sure you got on the right next yeah. thing that you're going mm-hmm. to. So they think that you actually need the help to get step off the train. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I you know, suppose there's some confusion that gets in there because many people who use that service yes, will need some assistance yeah, of getting off a train. Mm-hmm. But you know, it shouldn't be so black and white, I suppose, really. Mm-hmm. It's a slight flexing of the thought process there. <laughs> you can't expect everything, Joe. When you like um, got this assistance at the train station and you finished yeah. at the train station, uh, say if you need to walk quite a distance around a completely unfamiliar area you've never been before, how would you go about doing that? Do you just ask people for assistance, get taxis, or taxis are really useful? So I would use taxis quite a lot. I mean, I have in some cases just set off walking, yeah, and just depends where you are a bit. You know, if you if it's seven o'clock in the evening and you've arrived at a busy town Mm. it's easier than if you arrive somewhere at 6am and it's a country village yeah (laughs) finding any help there would be quite difficult yeah I mean that's so knowing actually about your destination a bit and I've found now planning to go to places 
is a lot more straightforward for me these days because I can actually look stuff up mm. on the internet. Whereas years ago, asking people to look for timetables for trains, for example, and read stuff about areas could be frustrating. It is just really interesting listening. I, I know as a kind of sighted member of the public, wanting to be helpful to people, I probably err on the side of not being helpful because I'm so frightened of patronising people. Yeah. And I find it really hard to get that balance. Mm. I suppose what would help me is, like you were saying, someone being able to be quite specific about what help they need. Mm. Yeah. Because I tend not to offer because I don't want mm. to be patronising. Yeah. But if someone can say, actually, it would be really helpful if you could do X, Y and Z. If you are going to have something, just, just use those words then. Can I be of any assistance yeah, to you? Exactly, really, yeah, exactly. I think listening to you yeah, talk can make me feel a bit more confident about just saying yeah. to some. I'm quite a shy person, actually. Yeah. I don't normally go up to yeah. people and talk to them anyway, you know. But you've encouraged me to person, maybe say, and, yeah. Are you okay? One of the problems that I have is approaching people because mm. I'm shy and, mm. you know, asking for help. It's quite a British culture as well, isn't there? Of yeah, not speaking to other yeah. people, not asking for help, well, or offering it. Yeah, I mean, I'm exactly sure when you're on trains, for but example. Generally, most people would be really happy to help. And sometimes I sort of think I know someone's looking at me, mm. and I know that, that they probably want to help me, but they're just having that, yeah. that period where they think, oh, I don't yeah. know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so yeah. I think as a sighted person, it, I realise it's a bit dark that my fear of patronising mm. someone can outweigh actually helping someone. <laughs> From the point of view of being visually impaired, sometimes it's frustrating, but I always think, what would I be like as well, you know, mm. trying to help someone? Yeah. And I would be diffident, I think, you know, and, and I think I wouldn't be quite as straightforward and go ahead as I would like people to be when yes. they help me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's true. I don't think I would if uh, I was to help myself or if I mm. see myself going down coming down the road, I think I would have I'd probably just walk on by, probably keep my iPod earphones in and just <laughs> carry yeah, on. Some people um, do that because yeah, I, I don't think it's because they're being nasty, no. you know, it's because and you're touching on it there, yeah. saying about the the British culture. I mean, there is mm. a, a bit of a thing about mm. you know, embarrassment, mm. and not yeah. wanting to to appear mm. not to know. Mm. I think that's something that's changed yeah. for me as I've got a bit older and yeah. less bothered about what people mm. think of me. Probably when I was yeah, younger, yeah, I'd be more reticent. Like now it's yeah. yeah. If someone tells me to get lost, then that's not the end of the world <laughs> yeah. the way it was when I was seventeen. Yeah. So that's it for this edition of Eyeballs. Remember, you can email us at podcast at campsite.org.uk. The telephone line is also available. You can leave a message which may be included in the next episode of Eyeballs. That phone number is 0845 287 4999. We will be back with episode number nine very soon. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye for now.